You're listening to What is Black, the parenting podcast where we address issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. So thank you for joining us for another episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Puzzle Huddle. Puzzle Huddle creates puzzles that feature diverse Black characters. They believe that when children play with toys that feature images that look like them, they have the opportunity to be affirmed and engage in imaginative play in a very personal way. And I believe this brand really supports the mission of What is Black to help raise healthy and thriving Black children through play and seeing themselves reflected back in the toys that they play with. These puzzles are also a great excuse to play together as a family. One of my favorite puzzles is Ballerina Love that I'm looking at right now. I was excited to unpackage it and actually put the puzzle together. It features a beautiful brown girl dancing. I'm ready to frame it and put it on my wall. It's that good. But there are so many other wonderful choices featuring characters that are doctors, which I love because I'm a pediatrician, scientists, and so much more. Buy your puzzle today. Check them out at puzzlehuddle.com. So welcome everyone to another episode of What is Black Podcast. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Dr. Kimberly Parker. And I'll, have, I'll give her an opportunity to, um, to share all her great work. But before we get started, I just wanted to you know, let you all know that it was by happenstance that I um, got to know about Dr. Kimberly Parker and doing research for upcoming episodes of the podcast. It's like you get there's gems in doing Google searches and utilizing online platforms, social media platforms. And I found this wonderful work um, done by Dr. Kimberly Parker. And it really got me thinking about how we can advocate as parents advocate for our children in the educational educational realm regarding anti-racism. So with COVID-19, um, the fight for racial justice, Black Lives Matter, and the fact that kids are going to be starting school either virtually or in person or in hybrid model, it just got me thinking about how can we really continue this work in the educational in the educational realm, right? Because our kids our kids are experiencing racism even in even in schools, and we'll continue to experience that. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about how we as parents can support and even advocate for our schools and educators who are listening to the program how they can do that as well. So all that to say, welcome Kim, welcome Dr. Parker to the show, and if you could just give a little bit a brief intro of your work and your passions. Sure. Thank you. Um, I am Kim Parker. I'm currently the assistant director of teacher training at the Shady Hill Teacher Training Center in Cambridge, Mass. Um, I've been a public school teacher before that for about 18 years, mostly in urban schools um, with a sabbatical in the suburbs, as I like to say it. Um, And most of my work, actually all of my work has been about creating um, powerful literacy experiences, particularly for Black um, and Latinx folks. So, oh, so you have an awesome job. <laughs> I know, I know. And right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm supporting um, people who want to be teachers. And then in the summer, I write with high school kids. So it's great. It's absolutely great. And I have a, I have a six-year-old. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the work that you're doing, right? And we talked a little briefly before the, the interview. But I see it like as this intersecting, right? Intersection, not necessarily intersectionality, but just the, the meeting of the impact of COVID-19 on supports and systems that our kids are part of, one being educational system, and now looking at social justice, right? How those, all, how those three things are really coming to a head 
um, and the fight for racial racial equity, racial justice. And your your feelings being an educator, first and foremost, about how you think things are going to look moving forward. And if schools are starting to really think about how they're going to address these these issues in this upcoming school year, given the other issues they also have to address. Yeah, I mean, I think that, right, it's like the perfect storm of sort of really challenging times, pandemic, racial uprising. Um, and then also, I live in a city. And so most of our public school district is comprised of Latinx and Black families. And many of those families are essential workers, are living in multi-generational homes, are, um, you know, all of those, all of the data we read about sort of is the microcosm of the city. And so we have these sort of battling factions. White parents want to go back to school. Black and Latinx families are saying, wait a minute. And so what we also know, though, is that we have work to do. So when kids were in sort of when we had the pause in March, in Boston, kids were sort of paused, right? No new instruction really until 10 weeks later. So that was kind of ridiculous. Whereas we knew that white um, districts or districts with mostly white kids were pressing on and teaching new content. So we're creating these moments, right? And I think that while we wait, we can either do something, right? We, We can either wait for the school or we can sort of think about what assets do we have as a community, What assets do we have as educators and parents that we can pull together to really give our kids what we know they're not going to have in school, right? If they're going two days a week, uh, my concern for my six-year-old is that he's got to learn how to read, right? Like the more we know about kids not being able to read past a certain age, um, the more trouble they have. So how do we make this moment really productive for kids? And how do we really leverage families, caregivers, and parents to feel confident to teach their kids? That's really what it is for me and that schools are going to do what they do. But right, like we have a really powerful moment if we can think creatively to really do something different. Your your background with um, Disrupt Text, right? So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you created Disrupt Text, its mission, and then we'll go back to how you think your work is going to is going to help maybe create some of that innovative ways or maybe just, you know, just different ways that we can engage children in learning, reading, and also addressing social justice. I'm one of the four co-founders of Disrupt Text, and the other three are Trisha Abarbia, Lorena Herman, and Julia Torres, all um, women of color. And we started it because we were all um, teaching and kept sort of bumping up against canonical texts, right? People love teaching the books. They want to teach that they have been teaching forever. But our, our point is that lots of these books and the way they are taught are racist. And also they're, they're more contemporary, inclusive texts. And so that's where we enter the conversation. Um, we worry a lot about curriculum violence, you know, the harm that can come from teaching a text the incorrect way, the harm of being one or two, one or one of to kids of color in a class and having to sort of be dragged through a book that uses the N-word and other sort of terrible oppression um, without teachers being equipped to really teach that text if they insist or teachers understanding that there are other texts to teach. So that's, um, that's sort of our bigger 
aim. And then we do it through Twitter chats, through presentations, through workshops, through um, we're working on a book right now, all with the aim of getting that into educators' hands so they are able to do something different. So I think that's wonderful. Now, I'm wondering, given, again, all the other complexities, right, that um, educators, parents are going to have to deal with going back to school, do you think that'll continue to be a priority, right, to really um, look at the canon of books, right, what literature kids have access to and how, how kids are educated or taught about those topics? Yeah, it should be. Um, I think that, if anything, with the racial uprisings, we are starting to think really deeply about how have we been taught our history. For those of us who are not really deeply enmeshed in Black history, what are the books we've read or not been permitted to read and what does that matter? And I think what is important is that, for me, it's coming from young people who are saying, if you're going to teach history, right, if you're going to share these books with us, share the ones that look like me. And so if we listen, right, it can be a powerful moment. And if we say, I just sort of have this mindset of design thinking anyway, I draw from the work of design thinking, which keeps us constantly creating and thinking about how can we do things differently? um, How can we shift? How can we not be so attached to how things used to be? And for many of us who have taught in sort of broken systems, we don't want to go back to the way it was anyway, right? We have this moment if we are brave. Um, really to say, I don't want to teach that text and kids don't need that text right now. And this is what I'm going to do. And so really like, I don't understand, like for teachers, many of us, like what's the alternative to go back to the way it was when kids weren't reading anyway. So we have, we know that kids are not necessarily engaging in ways that they did when they, when we have them all together sort of face to face. And so if the texts are not interesting to them, or if they are hard, or again, if they are doing damage, imagine what that's like to read that text on your own, right? In your own home. Educators have a different responsibility, I think, right? We have to pick texts that work for our kids in ways that are empowering, are compassionate, are loving, um, and help them really to grapple with these moments and also the moments um, that led us here and are going to lead us out. And I think you bring up um a very important point. I'm working, I'm just thinking right now, like, you know, future episodes to address social emotional um, learning with this upcoming school year, right? How COVID is going to impact and impact um, how, you know, mental health issues that may be coming up, um, stressors, anxiety that parents and kids are facing. And as you were speaking, I was, I was thinking, well, I think the trauma of my colleague, Dr. Nia Hergaris, um, has a, uses this phrase, um, vicarious racism, right? So she does research on secondhand experiences of racism. And I'm thinking for many kids, right? I mean, they have, you know, day-to-day either microaggressions, right? And then you, you, you watch what, what's occurred this summer, what continually gets reported about the deaths of Black people, police violence, right? And then, and then other, other issues, and I was just wondering, you know, that's a lot of a lot to come into the school year with, right? That so, how do you address that social emotionally? And then, as you were talking about books and the the curriculum, well, that could be re-traumatizing to children, like you said. So I was like, well, that might be a way to also sort of be an intervention for educators is to really think about how those texts either reinforce stereotypes or could potentially be an opportunity to 
engage kids to talk about, you know, their feelings, right? Or even helping parents talk about feelings that their kids may be having, not only because of COVID and the disruption it is with, you know, that's occurring with school, but also just the mental impact of the day-to-day media that they're exposed to. Yes, yes, yes. And I wish, one of the things that I ask um, my child's school district for was I said, you know, like, I, I know that I'm not the only one. It would be really useful if you were pumping out resources for Black parents, right, who are living through this moment with our Black children also. Um, there has just been such silence in terms of that. I mean, we get all of these platitudes about Black Lives Matter statements and things like that. But I think the mental health of children and caregivers, like you said, is of critical import. And also, I mean, I think that we have, if you if you parent sort of the way you've been parented, right, that can be traumatic. You got to deal with that. So then all of these moments are triggering moments. And if we aren't providing resources for people to really think about that, and I would ask, and I would also suggest through like culturally responsive trained practitioners also, um, then that's challenging. But also I worry that when we go back, right, we're going to have newly wakened white educators want to talk about these issues with kids in ways that they are not prepared to do. And so you talk about sort of re-traumatizing. That's my fear. Um, I think we can do a lot of damage, again, in classrooms if we have not done our own work first. So that's what I would hope, is that I would hope that um, any of us have been working on our own anti-racist, culturally responsive, sustaining practices before we go do it to children. And in terms of social, emotional, SEL stuff um, and skills, I think that's the most important thing. Kids have been away from their communities, from schools for a really long time. And I would think that that would be the most important thing is to check in with them, to let them know that um, the community welcomes them back, that there are friendly faces there, um, that they can sort of reconnect. And that's the curriculum honestly, right? Like that's for me, the most important thing. Um, And so we'll see, we'll see, because I'm sure people are also concerned about standards and progress and all of those other things. But if you don't have, you don't know who your kids are and where they've been and what they've been and what they're bringing, um, sort of all of their assets, then I feel like then it's just not going to work. So again, you wear you wear two hats, one being an educator and one being a mom. Mm-hmm. And you spoke a little bit about how, you know, you're creating advocacy on behalf of your child, right, in terms of their education and having the system acknowledge, right, and address needs that you know that your child has. So do you think you were able to do that because you're an educator? Because I'm just trying to figure out what the bridge is for parents that are not within the system, how they can go about advocating. I mean, I know I've tried to do it myself as a parent. You know, I wear the hat of being a pediatrician, but that that goes out the door, right? When I'm talking about my black sons and there's a problem here, right? They don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily care I'm a pediatrician or not, right? It's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, I think that... Parents have to, we have to get over our own um, fear that we're going to make somebody mad or we don't belong in those spaces, right? Like our child, we, we are entrusting our children with these systems and institutions. 
And that, yes, it is very scary. It can be. Um, I think school systems have done incredible harm to Black folks. And that, yes, and we still need to show up. And also, like, I'm happy to go with someone. And I have taken people with me on those times when it's been really hard. And I think that that's what's gotten me through. But also, I feel like right now in this moment, if parents don't somehow let schools know that they are here. And that can be just simply like showing up to like our, my child's school has these meetings. And so um, I've gotten myself into these meetings and there are other parents who we have a parent council that they're always welcome, right? Like, and schools need to do a better job about making sure that parents feel welcome and are doing all of those things other than lip service. So I, I get it. It's hard. I have felt nervous and it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter that we have letters after our name. It doesn't matter. Um, but I also think I have to be brave. I'm doing this for my child. And also, maybe if I go, this will at least give me the ability to tell someone else about my own experience and to go with them when it's time for them to go. I love that. I mean, if you need to, if you need to find like a friend or someone, you know, you may have know another teacher, right? To have them accompanying you or even kind of maybe, maybe sort of mentor you, quote unquote, in a way, right? How to prepare for that. Because I think I know I went into those meetings that I've had with schools, probably too nice, right? Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, because I, because I, I was in the community, didn't want to, you know, have, have, have me be thought of as a certain, certain type of woman, right? So I think the, the biggest advocate for your child is going to be you as, as their parent. Yeah. And also like, you need to let um, schools know who your child is, like the whole 365. So they don't, uh, I was like, it's 365, right? So um, they don't know, like they know your child in the context of the school, you know, your child like in and out. And if you don't tell their story, then they're just going to see them as this moment, right? Or a series of moments. And also I think it's really important as parents that we remind ourselves of the story, right? The present is not like, we cannot pathologize the present, right? You know this, kids go through these stages. I am learning, right? They have these developmental leaps and things and they do things and you're like, oh, this is all developmental. Um, And I think that if we don't, one, remind ourselves of that and love them through that, and then two, speak up for them, right? And believe them and advocate for them, then no one else is going to do it. And when you go to those meetings, like take someone with you and ask that person to take notes. Because I think too, that once, you know, like if a school is throwing all of the educational jargon at you, right, all of the words, then it's really hard to be like, I don't, you can get confused. And so if you just have someone there that's just taking notes and witnessing with you, then that helps, right? Like then school, then you have the power. I think that as parents, we can't give away our power because our kids need us to keep that power. And I totally agree because it's interesting. I had um, had an opportunity to speak on a panel and the organization that I worked with, they asked parents that, you know, that their, their kids, you know, the kids are involved in the program questions. And the, the initial, the initial thought of the, of the program was to talk about, you know, anti-racism, social justice, right? Most of these parents are African-American or, you know, identifies black or African-American and the questions that came in were more about education, not about the social justice. Mm-hmm. So, so I was thinking, you know what, is that, is that because 
they don't need to talk about that because they 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 deal with it, you know, as a black family, right? Or family of color, you're already dealing with that. So you you just you want your you just want your kid to show up to school and the school educate them so that they can move on and do well in society. So I, so I always find that that interesting and I hadn't I haven't asked I haven't asked the haven't asked those parents, but I, but I've been thinking about that, right? Do you think parents and I know you can't you know can't speak for a whole group of parents, but whether or not Parents might even think that, you know, playing devil's advocate, that the school even needs to be talking about this. Right. Does it really matter if they if a teacher talks to my kid about um, Black Lives Matter, anti-racism, racial justice, racial equity, or you just need to treat my kid fairly so that they get that they get the education and we can we can reduce or eliminate these achievement gaps? Yeah, but I I think that we have um, it's interesting because I think we can be detached from history, right? I am always driven by the knowledge that for Black folks in this country, right, we've always valued literacy and we've always practiced literacy and being literate in ways that weren't necessarily um, recognized by white folks. Um, and we know, right, how threatening being literate is for white folks anyway. And so I think that what happens is that we forget our history, right? And we forget that all of this came really collectively. And so when I'm when I am speaking up at my child's school, I'm speaking up for all of the kids, right? I'm speaking up for everyone. So it's not enough that he is successful. It's I'm concerned about all of his peers in that grade. And so I think that that's what I'm tied to. And that, you know, like if we normalize high achievement for everyone, then what does that look like? And I think that does mean that we can hold people accountable to say, this curriculum is outdated. I want to see my child and his experience represented throughout the curriculum, not just during Black History Month. And I don't want you to be teaching just oppression stories, right? I want the whole thing. And I think that that's what we need to really move more to is that we have a right to ask right? And to keep asking and to, do, to we want high quality curriculum. I mean, I think that that's what we also should be doing as, as people working in community with schools is to think about what are kids learning? Is this relevant? And I think that this is what we're also seeing during remote instruction. Like what, there's lots of things that like busy work and we should ask, what is this about? How does this help to normalize again, high achievement for everyone. And what are you going to do about it? Oh, I think that's wonderful. I like your answer to, to my question. (laughs) So that's the thing. So let's say, well, as a parent, you know, as a parent, you're working on, you know, advocating for your children in the community, but you know, it's going to take a while. Systems take a while, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, a while, right. To, to make changes. And so, what are what are your suggestions? Um, one as a as a PhD, right? I want to use your use your letters, right? And your background as an educator, and also as a mom, right? You have the MOM, right? Mm-hmm. Um, degree. <laughs> like, what would what would be your recommendations for? And I think parents have had to do this for a long time, as you said, right? Yeah. What additional things? It's extra work for parents, but that can help supplement, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. For their children, while while we're waiting for systems to change. 
Right. I think that I'm going to speak right, really from experience, right? This is my current reality. And that how do you, one, figure out what kids are supposed to be doing, right? Like, and so I emailed the principal and I said, can you just tell me what, what they are supposed to be doing in this grade? Like, can you, do you have a document? The document is very, very long and very, very wordy, but I have the document. So now my next step is to get some folks together from the school, other parents, whoever else wants to come. We're going to figure out what this looks like, right? I know that people are talking about these pods. My worry about pods is that some people are going to be in it and some aren't. I feel like we need to make this open for everyone and figure out how to have access and space and all of those things. But then also from that, I'm going to go find some retired teachers, right? Keep them at a safe social distance. And to say, can you teach, can you help me to understand how I'm supposed to make this work, right? What does this mean when this says this? Because I am an adolescent literacy specialist. I'm very comfortable with grades seven and up. First grade, I don't know anything about that other than, you know, being someone's mother. Um, And then, right, then you disseminate the knowledge. I'm going to try to um, make it one first understandable to myself and then be able to work with teachers and other groups, right? Because there are people in the community who are retired teachers or are home or doing whatever who could jump on a Zoom call and coach us all through it, who could record a series of videos to help folks, right? It's just, I'm not going to, the schools are going to be overwhelmed, honestly, and they're going to be doing the best they can. And I think that, again, it's an opportunity for parents to say, one, I can figure this out and I'm going to figure this out for my child and my child's colleagues, peers, and then we just got to go, right? So we have to do something. And I think that the longer we wait, the more um, time goes by. So that's what I would say is to say, who's in your community or your sort of who's close to you? And how do you get these folks together? Because everyone knows a little bit about something, right? Like we can do, Black folks can do amazing things. So people can like, someone can do the math, someone can do these things, someone can do the science, like you can put it all together. And they just have to be able to, you know, Computer technology makes things great Um, and figuring that out, right? And, you know, making progress. And so that's what we will do. I think that's what we're going to do to to supplement whatever it is the school is going to do. Because I cannot rely on the schools to do right by Black kids because we know that they haven't. But we do know that sort of the history of Black achievement is that we have always made a way. So this is just another opportunity for us to make a way. And then in terms of educators, I feel like this is a great opportunity to make sure that what materials we are putting in front of kids in this online environment or face-to-face environment are culturally responsive and relevant and that are representing a range of um, diversity in ways that are powerful and non-stereotypical for kids. So just to piggyback on the the prior question, the previous question that I asked um, Dr. Parker, do you know if, are there any resources that parents can access to one, learn how to talk to to schools about diversifying curriculum or advocating on behalf of their children. I know that's all all the same, right? It's really advocacy on the part of our kids. But I just wanted if you if you knew of any resources, or maybe parents just you know just need to just go directly to their school system and and ask. Well, I mean, I think that sometimes school districts sort of make that it's just hard to find it. But I mean, I think we should start there first of all. Start with your child's teacher, right? What is the curriculum? that is supposed to be taught throughout the year, right? Like we should all know what are the standards, the benchmarks, all of it. And you should be able to ask your teacher for that or the school, right? The principal should have that. And I would say to be persistent, 
right? Like you can get that and then study it. Like, what is it? What's the, what's, uh, what's the content? What makes sense, right? The more that you know that we understand about what we're supposed, what kids are supposed to be learning, the more than we could say, well, how does this work? Um, it's the same thing we would tell our children, right? Like you have to understand it really well to be able to do something else. Um, then I would say there's a woman at Harvard. It's, her name is Dr. Karen Mapp, M-A-P-P. And she does lots of family school partnership work. And she's great for understanding how it should work. Um, she's doing presentations. I think she has things written. Um, she's the person for understanding how to be effective. And she responds, um, I think her research also is on families of color and with families of color. So I feel like that's some good stuff. And that's a good place to start. And then also to not keep that info to ourselves, right? To like share it with one or two people, to think about how do you work together to teach other people about the material, to share it, and then to make changes. Because if you know what's in the material, in the curriculum, and you know what's missing, then oftentimes teachers are overwhelmed, right? They're like, everyone's going to be overwhelmed this next year. But you could say, oh, I've read this book, or I can get you these books. Would you like them? Seems like this speaks to your curriculum, or this is something I would like you to consider. Sometimes they're open to that. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Parker. It's been um, great talking with you. Yeah, this has been lovely. Lovely, lovely. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to What is Black podcast. And I also like to um, extend another great thank you to Dr. Kimberly N. Parker for joining us today for this episode. I hope you learned a lot from this episode. Um, she gave some wonderful tips um, and, and so much more. To listen to other other episodes, you can um, listen to us on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. We would love to hear um, how well we're doing. Also, you can listen to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We're on social media, so we'd love to hear your feedback. We're at What is Black, W-H-A-T-I-S-B-L-K on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, you can sign up for our newsletter to learn about um, what's happening behind the scenes and what is black and what's 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 upcoming. And you can subscribe to that newsletter at our website at www.whatisblack.co. And until next time.